All right. Welcome back to episode 21 of the 20 Pages Book Club. On today's episode, we will be starting episode two for The Last Rhinos, talking through chapters 18 to 29. Um, we then give our thoughts on the book and then finish up a rhino compilation uh, reacting to some rhino attacks, rhino fights um, from the wild. So looking forward to a great episode. Let's go. All right. Welcome back. Episode 21, 20 Pages Book Club, second episode for the last house, Lawrence Anthony. Um, before we get into chapters 18 to 29, why don't you go start around with a quick weekend recap? Uh, Kevin, start us off. You had uh, a race this weekend, so tell, tell us about how your race went and how your weekend was. Yep. I had a race this weekend in Madison. I just did a 10K. Wanted to start. Didn't want to jump straight into the marathon, half marathon. Honestly, I did, but. My buddy made me sign up for the 10K because he said I wasn't ready. And then he absolutely dusted me. But I met my goal, finished below sub 42. And then I supported one of my good buddies, Connor. He ran the full marathon and he finished 327, which was super good. Nice. Yeah, he he looked insane. Like he after the race, he still was like upright, like felt complete. Like he obviously was hurting, but he felt pretty good. And so that was pretty fun. And I woke up, woke up at 4.30 this morning to him getting out of the shower saying, I couldn't sleep, so I just took a shower. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on? We were planning to wake up to like five. And then that guy was on one like the rest of the day. And then he, we stopped for food and he ate so much food. He, uh, didn't he? On the way back, you're saying? Yeah. After like after the marathon, he was just like, "Dude, I need so many calories." Didn't he run one like recently, like before this? I remember when we went and trained. He had in run June. one and didn't hit. He didn't hit his goal time. Yeah, and that was his goal time was three thirty. He, I think his first one, he wanted to run like a three forty, three forty five, and he absolutely blew up, like bloody nose and like was dying. Yeah. So yeah. he ran with his his girlfriend who ran cross. She was like a national champion for D three, for cross country and track and stuff. So they, for the first one they did in June, she was like really she was solid. She finished like three twenty, I think, and he blew up and finished like three fifty or whatever. And then this time she absolutely blew up. We saw her at like mile eight. I think it was like mile twenty one, and she's like. She didn't see us until we were like right next to her screaming and she's like she's like guys, I, I I'm gonna throw up and then she just started like walking and like couldn't move and then but she finished like I think she finished at like three fifty, so I mean That's very solid for like not feeling your best. Yeah. Yeah, acting like a blogger and I would run a five hour marathon, definitely. Yeah, but it was it was a really cool environment and we started you started like right in front of the Capitol. So it was like, it was pretty electric. Max and I, we finished, he finished like 11th in the 10K. I finished 16th. But the top, the top 10 humans were right out of the gate. They just zoom. And we were like, yep, that's, we're not, we're not keeping up with them. Your excuse is that they're on performance enhancing drugs. 
yeah they all had they all had like the really small singlets on that like are sick like digitized and they're wearing like no yeah. clothes and it was freezing i'm like yeah we're about to get dusted <laughs> yeah but it, it Wait, so our next step our next step as a company is uh is is decking you guys out in 20 pages gear for sponsorships <laughs> that seems to be our, our avenue for a sports sponsorship tyler I already signed up for the half in Des Moines and then I'm signing up for Chicago marathon. Hopefully going to do that this next year. So I was going to ask you, I feel like it's a good base to start like what you're doing with the speed work, like just get really yeah. fast in the 10 K and then I, build from there. If I'm being honest, I only trained for like, actually like trained for two weeks, which is yeah, that's, and that's insane. Yeah, it was, it was kind of bad. I'm, I started training and then like I started taking it easy in terms of speed work. This this is all stuff we can discuss discuss off the podcast. So that was a long week in recap. We'll we'll take it offline. Yeah, we'll take this one offline. We'll wrap back around to it. I'll have my people email yours. We're proud of you. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I know Brazel apparently had a fun weekend. I know he's been itching to talk about it. So Brazel, if you want to go ahead. Brazel did have a fun weekend. Um what being our diplomat our diplomat. Oh, thanks for the transition. Whoa. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I missed the Nebraska game, thankfully. God bless. Uh, because that I watched, I rewatched it and it was painful. So thankfully, I missed the entire second half of that. Uh, I missed the UFC fights, which were a little disappointing on Saturday, but, um, went on another date. It's been having some fun. Went to the art museum, went to dinner at a Turkish restaurant. It was very good. Uh, the guy was making fun of my date because she didn't finish her meal, and they were, like, taking that very seriously. They were, like, asking her if she hated it. She was like, no, no, no. And, I, like, I felt terrible, but, like, it was, like, he was taking offense to that the meal wasn't finished. So it was, like, authentic Turkish. That's where you step in and start eating her to... <laughs> yeah. Eating what? Be a <laughs> uh yeah and then that's pretty much my weekend now i'm here all right christian how was your weekend it was good uh me and kylie went to the laugh factory last night uh it was a lot of fun i've never been to a live comedy show uh so was like a little nervous at first that like they were all gonna blow and the first person like came in and killed it and it just got better from there. Uh and they they were all really funny. So really? see these how dicey are they these days in the in the There was there was an R word that was thrown. Uh one of the the first guy was really into the transgender jokes. Um a, a lot of jokes just about sex, uh, a lot of jokes about drugs. Um I was about the extent of it. They were, they were, it was pretty dicey for like just a, especially for Chicago. This is, it was pretty dicey. Is it like professional, like actual, like, like stand up comedians or is it like open mic kind of thing? That's so like, legit, they do, right? yeah, they do open mic on Tuesday. These are like legit. I think, I think there's like aspiring, like right? Up and coming, like, yeah. like trying to I, make I, a big time. Yeah, exactly. Um, like social media comedians almost. Like they do they do shows around Chicago. Like there's a couple other venues, I think, but it's not like 
the Tom Segura's and like, uh, you know, the big names that go to the big venues. But they were all pretty funny. We went, we have a stand up comedy of, com, well, comedy bar in Dubuque. And oh my God. It's just like the people there. It's just, it's so the funny. People just need to sh- the people just need to show up in Dubuque to be on. To, to be on. <laughs> yeah. It is so funny. There was one we went to and no one was laughing and we were in the back row and I was I was like pretty pretty tossed and I just remember laughing so hard and no one else was laughing just because the guy was talking about like Anne Frank if you if she lived in Dubuque and I'm like what in the world is this guy's like stand up routine? Uh, we we purposely did not sit in the front. The people in the front actually like kind of got picked on a little bit. Um, you don't want to get crowded. Like there there were these there were these two girls. This guy, I guess, had recently broken up with his girlfriend, and there were these two girls that were there from out of town, and it was like, uh, was like, you two look horny. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this guy was like a middle-aged dude hitting on the, the two girls in the front. So, yeah, it was good. Uh, Jared, go ahead. Yeah, so I drove back from Dallas this weekend to Chicago. So did the 14-hour trek, split it between Friday night and Saturday during the day. Um, so pretty uneventful. Drive's not anything special. Um, went through a lot of reservation land. So I was thinking about uh, our previous book and kind of the casinos and everything that we kind of talked about. Saw some oil derricks. So it's really connecting the dots there. Um, also listened to Illinois' thrilling win on the radio yesterday. I swear to God, Illinois football is shaving years off my life. Um, I I agree. Nebraska's doing this. Speaking of, speaking of, well, actually, I'm out of town next weekend. Never mind. I was going to ask if you wanted to go to the Illinois Iowa game next weekend. Yeah, I would, yeah, Matt. I'll be able to make make the swing that swing that, but I'll probably go in the city next weekend. So we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, um, and then this Sunday it was Diwali, so Indian holiday, a festival of lights. So I'm at my grandma's right now. Um, but yeah, pretty excited to be back in Chicago for like the next three months and see the guys. I know we got some stuff planned, so maybe some more in-person episodes. We'll figure it out. But yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Shall we, <laughs> we move into the chapters? Christian, yeah, you're on chapter funny. summaries. Hey, my bad. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you, if you haven't uh, read the first part, which was uh, chapters one through 18, make sure you go back and read that before. You listen, listen as we will be talking through chapters 18 through 29. Christian, take us away. All right. All right. Chapter 18. Uh, Lawrence travels to the Juba Bridge Hotel to meet with the LRA delegation regarding the northern white rhinos in Garamba. The first individual of note he meets is Josephine Apira, the deputy leader of the LRA peace delegation. At first, she comes off hostile, claiming that he is the one lying to the world that the LRA are slaughtering the rhino. After Lawrence communicates his intentions and makes it clear he has spread no rumors and has no political agenda, she relents and asks him to meet the delegation at the Ecoli mango tree next to the river in an hour's time. Delegation arrived an hour later, seven of them led by Martin O'Jewell. Professor Mado Misama was there as well to make introductions. 
After formalities, Lawrence states that the LRA soldiers in Garambo were the major factor affecting the rhino's chances of survival and lays out the four ways the LRA can help. <clears throat> First, the LRA military pull all men away from the main camp in Garamba. Second, the LRA does not interfere with the rangers' patrol. Third, the LRA does not allow rhinos to be killed by poachers in the area of their operations. And lastly, the LRA helped to gather information on the rhinos and report findings to Lawrence. The meeting was a success. O'Jewel complimented Lawrence on being a man of the animals, saying without saying that he had no financial, political, or military agenda, and that he understood he was coming to the LRA purely as a conservationist. The delegation promised to speak to their commanders in the bush and to meet at the same time tomorrow to report back. I had something that I just remembered about my weekend recap that I forgot to say. I just have to say this because it's insane. There was a kid that ran the marathon and he juggled three balls the entire time. And he finished in like 330. It was like 338 or 340. And he was juggling three balls the whole time. Just running, juggling three balls. That's a legit meme. I wonder how many times he dropped it. Zero. I'm pretty sure he like set a world record or something. He was like our age. Is there like a Guinness guy, like taking notes and watching him? I mean, he was, no, he was kind of running. I don't know if he was just doing it for like the goof. The kid was a meme, but he was just, Connor said at the beginning, he he saw the kid just run past him, just going like this. And he was like, what the? And then he caught him. Connor caught him. Insane amount of focus. Yeah. Three and a half hours. Like your coordination is crazy. Yeah. You yeah, can't I, even I just, drink water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just had to share that. He had no gels, nothing. Yeah. Unless he's unless he'd stopped like at some point just to eat a gel real quick, but I think he did it the whole somebody, time. Somebody fed him. Yeah. <laughs> IV. He's got an IV in. All right. Sorry. I just had to share that. All right. Back to the chapter summaries. <laughs> no, that, was, that was good. All right. Uh, uh, very, very shady, uh, the LRA from the get go. It's just meeting you have to go back to the bush and you have to meet under a certain tree to talk about anything just from the get-go it's a very who knew terrorist organizations very on time (laughs) (laughs) very shady i also find it funny that they're like oh a man of the bush like a man of the animals no financial political military agenda when this whole time they're planning for a quid pro quo to be like Okay, you do this for us. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. So we'll find out, I think. Yeah. They're they're basically looking for a man to be their representative to the outside world. And Lawrence yeah. we'll see what he actually go does when he goes back. I'm kind of curious. I feel like every chapter he just ends it with that was really suspicious. And then he's like, <laughs> but it would he like just says like a sentence like but that wasn't all yet, or like, but there was more. <laughs> he does. He does love cliffhangers. Very Bill Browder. He he almost does in a sense. He like, I know we'll get into this later, but he almost makes you feel like some sort of compassion for this organization. Like at the end, like when I'm reading it, and it's like interesting because I like see myself like, I feel... like with the pro Mussolini versus like the LRA. Like who's actually like at fault? Like. And it's interesting, like that you're reading and you'll be like, well, like they kind of have a point. Like, 
it's like just crazy to even think about. I think uh, I think he he emphasizes that he feels bad for a lot of soldiers. We'll get to it, but there's a part where they they all bring him their you know stories and like write their names down on uh pieces of paper to hand to their families to let them know that they're still alive. So I feel like he feels a lot of sympathy for all of the child soldiers that were taken while young and they're creating this cycle of trafficking uh it's just like disheartening to him i don't know i'll i'm interested to see what he writes about the two leaders he does do a very good job of providing his point of view of like the whole experience jared like was basically saying this but how you're as the reader you're kind of like you're being persuaded to almost believe that the lra is like good in a sense and you're just like what like from his perspective he doesn't know he he feels like there's something shady going on behind the scenes but what he's being presented with is like this isn't that bad and he like wants to help and as the reader you kind of get that like feel that empathy and compassion yeah but i also think he puts like i feel like every chapter he writes i'm with a terrorist organization or i'm with prolific killer so i think i think we'll see but i think he's just going to make a distinction between the leadership and the sympathy he feels for the people the soldiers Hold yeah <clears throat> he's also very in tune with the african culture in a way that i don't think we can relate to yeah and i think that allows him to be more a lot more empathetic to the situation it helps that he's african and he understands some of the uh, intricacies with communication and tradition i think it helps that he he deals with like a lot of the thula thula tribes that's on his uh at his uh like the, the tribes that are on his national park mm-hmm. so like he kind of knows how to deal with some like the spiritual aspects because i think that plays a part into a lot of the decision making uh later on okay. all right <clears throat> chapter 19 The next morning, they were told that the meeting was canceled. However, an LRA messenger found the party a few hours later and told them to meet at the Juba Bridge Hotel at 3 p.m. Ojul informed Lawrence that he had spoken to General Adi the previous night. That morning, Adi had called, informing Ojul that Kony and and the military high command agreed to all requests. Even more, the delegation wanted to submit a formal document to the peace talks, of which Crispus Aena their lawyer would draft up. Lawrence pushed harder, first requesting the protection of the elephants twice. Uh, the, the delegation said that they had no authority on this matter. Then Lawrence requested the pygmy Congo draft to be added, and the delegation agreed. Finally, the delegation this time said they would also include the Okapi to Lawrence's surprise. So the LRA pledged to protect the three species, and that was that. The LRA had another agenda. Go ahead. Uh, I, I'm missing pictures. I had to look up what an Okapi was, and it's it is so Okapi's kind of sick, wildest looking. Yeah, thing. It, I I saw a picture of these, and it it said God submitted this at 11:59 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll throw one in there while you continue to read. Okay, well, just share it. You can. Yeah, dude. It's like a zebra mixed with like a donkey. Zebra giraffe is in the chapter summaries. Oh, in the cool doc. Let's see. 
zebra bottom half, giraffe neck, horse and, yeah. body. That's <laughs> yeah, like a horse body. It's just the wildest looking thing. I kind of want one though. What? Okay, so the LRA pledged to protect those three species: the rhinos. You can get more done with the when you can get more done with the LRA than you can do the own government. Yeah, the African parks and the ICCN. Uh, Makes you think. <laughs> yeah, uh, the LRA had another agenda a sort of quid pro quo. Lawrence had previously done a presentation on a truth and reconciliation commission in Iraq after Saddam Hussein had been deposed. Uh, the TRC work. I don't know what I wrote here. That was the RRC worked. Was that anyone? <laughs> I don't know if Chris you want me to read it word for word. So, so how how the TRC worked, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission worked, was that anyone who truth truthfully acknowledged to their crimes and apologized to the country would be exonerated. The LRA wanted the TRC to step in in the Sudan conflict as a means to protect their leaders during and after the peace talks. Lawrence promised to send a delegation some information on the TRC and to advise his high-level contacts in the South African government on their request. With that, the agreement was signed, one that was not enforceable by law, but which was possibly the most significant document of Lawrence's life. Uh, yeah, just an interesting piece here about the TRC, and I think we get some clarity on it down the road as to why LRA wanted this kind of reconciliation included yeah i mean i think they view lawrence as a tool almost like do they really care about the rhino that much probably not you know it, they're more interested in his ability to connect them with world leaders because they haven't had a voice to the outside world um obviously they're in the jungle um you know i as we'll see probably as this progresses their soldiers are probably done and want to go home and they're ready to try to integrate back into society, but they can only do that if they're exonerated. So uh, they kind of see Anthony as a tool here, and but we'll see. Yeah, I it's think interesting, they like their, tra their traditional justice system that they talk about a lot, and like the fact that they kind of believe that if they just kind of openly like say that they were wrong, that they're kind of baking on the fact that the the justice system will kind of clear them, whereas like the ICC and the international community obviously wouldn't. So it's it's interesting to see them try to like play that card and try to get out scot-free basically of all their, their crimes. Yeah, I can't really tell if they do it because they actually believe in their traditions and values of just being open with the community and uh, or if it's just uh, the fact that they want to be exonerated and, and not punished for their crimes. Maybe a mix of both. I could see how they would have maybe some resentment for Western law. Yeah. I also find it interesting that Anthony claims that he has like no like political background, but he seems to be pretty well-versed in like dealing with a lot of this stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm sure with the, dealing with the Iraqi zoo and stuff like that, he did some strings pulled. Yeah, I almost he's way more versed than that. a normal, when way more versed than a normal citizen is in international relations. 
I think the way he depicts it in the book is he talks about how he can understand and communicate with the elephants a ton to try to make it seem like he's really good in these situations just because he's very adept at reading people because he can even read like animals and stuff and he i think that's what he's giving off but then yeah with the background knowledge that he was part of that stuff i mean he probably has some experience as well all right chapter 20 the agreement was working. The LRAs seemed to be keeping up their side of the bargain in Garamba. Lawrence even received two calls advising him of LRA patrols moving close to the Garamba camp. Lawrence soon realizes that he is in bed with the LRA. He received a call from Martin O'Jewell and was informed that Joseph Coney requested to send a representative out to South Africa to discuss important matters. After getting clearance from Lawrence's contact in, South, in the South African Department of International Relations and Cooperation, Martin O'Jewell and Godfrey Io made the journey. <clears throat> they first informed Lawrence that they have complicated, that they have completed, thank you, Tyler, I caught that. that. They have completed their background checks and have accepted his credentials. Then discussion turned to the LRC, to the TRC. Would Coney, Adi, and the LRA High Command actually agree to public confessions? And if they did, what about the International Criminal, Criminal Court, who have tagged them on their most wanted list? IO states that the LRA leadership had agreed to public confessions and that the ICC and the justice system of the West is of no influence in Africa. Who are Europeans to impose their justice on them? In Africa... They understand the values of confession, mercy, and forgiveness. They discuss further the atrocities of the camps in northern Uganda, and Lawrence reflects on the crimes being committed by the LRA. He realizes that the dreadful humanitarian and conservation situations in Central Africa are intimately intertwined. There could be no exclusive focus on the conservationist efforts if the famine, disease, and despair of some 2 million people was not also addressed. Ojul asked Lawrence's help on the matter, but did not yet give details. All that he provided was that Coney had a vision, he is apparently a clairvoyant, that the LRA's salvation would come from South Africa. That's scary. If the number one person on the ICC most wanted list like had a vision about me saving the LRA, I think I would find the first flight out of country that I could. Yeah, I, I looked up in the meantime while you were reading that. I looked up what the ICC charges against Joseph Coney were. He has 12 counts of crimes against humanity, including murder, enslavement, sexual enslavement, rape, inhumane acts of inflicting serious bodily injury and suffering, and then 21 counts of war crimes, murder, cruel treatment of citizens, intentionally directing an attack against the civilian population, pillaging, inducing rape, and forced enlistment of children. So twenty <laughs> for worst character of the year. You could have just said everything. <laughs> he really crime. He really hit that twenty one leg parlay. <laughs> hit them all. I mean, twenty one counts of war crimes and twelve counts of crimes against humanity is crazy. I, Vincent Adi for uh, just because he's here too. Eleven counts of crimes against humanity and twenty one counts of war crimes. So he has pretty much the same. Um, yeah, this and dudes just hanging out with him. <laughs> 
we'll see what happens in Cincinnati. I know. I feel like you're in a you're a precarious situation, especially being in South Africa. You either say no and they come and hunt you, or you say yes and like be like, okay, I'll stay in the middle of this. Like, I don't even know what I would do because like if they wanted to kill you, they could kill you so fast. Like they have people. Yeah. I, I don't know. He never talks about like fear for his life. He more so talks about being the spark that can ignite helping out these 2 million people that are suffering from famine, disease, and being displaced from their homes. I think he feels a certain burden on himself to to help out in this situation. I think he also I'm recognizes glad. that the LRC needs him at this moment, and he's like in a powerful position over them in a certain way where um, – you know, they they need him to be their spokesperson. They ask him to be his godfather later on. The only thing he has to avoid is accidentally slipping his tongue with them. So he's just got to be careful with his words. And I think he recognizes that and kind of trusts himself. LR, yeah. He also, he also has to be careful not to pick sides with them. I think he treads that very carefully. He doesn't want to be associated with the LRA. He just wants to be the man in the middle, uh, kind of progressing the peace talks between both sides. Yeah, he stands up I'm for glad. at a certain point. Uh, there's one point in the book where he stood up for himself and was tired of, like, made it clear to them that he was not, like, a member or part of them. I'm glad that he's, because I know we talked about it last episode of him, like, how can you save rhinos when there's millions of people in famine and like in camps? I'm glad that he's like, especially when he talks to his wife, that there are points that he needs to make and like to, to make change. So I'm glad that like he didn't just brush over the fact that there's people in, in these horrible situations when like just forgetting about them and going to focus on the animals. So I'm glad that he kind of had the wherewithal to be. It's a really precarious situation, I feel like, because he is independent from all of the politics, or at least originally, when he just, like, his main goal is just to save these rhinos. And like Tyler talked about, there's just no, nothing about the rhinos in this book. But it's it's a very weird position for him to be in, because he, he's able to facilitate, like, these talks, but he's also trying to get his goal completed of saving the rhinos. I don't I don't know where it's going to end up going in terms of the rhinos is my biggest thing because this just seems so like political and it's turning into more about the people but the book is titled the last rhinos so I don't know what is really going to end up happening if that makes sense Tyler sent that <clears throat> Tyler sent that meme earlier which I think was actually really good in capturing what has happened in the book thus far <clears throat> it's kind of gone off the rails like I think we all thought it was going to be focused on the white rhinos and it's turned into this whole political story and and him playing the middleman between the lra and the rest of the world it was never about the rhinos never there's <laughs> always the lra uh, all right so award award to be added to the uh pages supporting wife of the year france blocks up there bill browder's wife is up there which one? Not his first wife. It's not his first wife. Second wife. Yeah. Are there any wives in uh and then there were none? <laughs> I feel like that book is getting under uh the the wives from the endurance too. 
They were literally gone yeah. for two years. Yeah. I, I feel like and then there were none is gonna get misrepresented in the in the pages, unfortunately. When Lois scored the year. <laughs> there we go. Any publicity is good publicity. Okay, <laughs> hey, chapter twenty one. I'm already seeing something in here that I <laughs> Yeah, well. <laughs> Uh, Lawrence takes Godfrey and Martin out on the game drive. Almost immediately, they encounter Manum Zane, the eldest elephant bull on the reservation, who is also in Muth, which is... His hormones are up. His hormones are up. His hormones are up. It's that time of the month, yeah. Manum Zane approached and put his tusk through the window. Lawrence abandoned all caution and floored the accelerator. Bad idea. The elephant charged, pushing the landy back into the bush as Lawrence pressed hard on the accelerator and the hooter. No <laughs> luck. Manumzan drove them back into a grove of trees and the landy toppled over. Lawrence called his name from the landy and Manumzan backed off, not before silently scanning his work, potentially checking to be sure that Lawrence was okay. Godfrey and Martin were astonished that he had listened to Lawrence, but also convinced that the spirit of Museveni had taken over the bull elephant. Lawrence did not object. He knew that the deep spirituality held by the African people went deeper than any argument he could make against the matter. He basically um, another elephant, another elephant chapter. He, he basically Just convinced these guys, He basically convinced these guys that he was in control of the animals. Yeah, he does this twice. He does it again later on when he meets Adi. He's like, uh, yeah, with the uh, monkey or whatever it is, baboon. baboon. All right, eyes. He basically looks like Jesus Christ, and he's like, this guy just, this guy just talked to him. Like he saved our lives. Like he's basically talking after <laughs> after he put them in that situation too. Well, that one idiot at times was messing it up. Yeah, all-time oh, sales okay. right there. He hook sink, <laughs> hook line sinker, literally got him, reeled him in. Okay, I think there's not much on that. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd be scared shitless. Uh, uh, I'm sure we'll see it in the videos, but elephant, elephant. <laughs> there's more in this next chapter. Uh, okay, chapter twenty-two. Martin O'Jewel phones Mr. Anthony saying that he would call in an hour for an important discussion. <laughs> oh, dude, I okay. Uh, when the call came, it was General Vincent Roddy on the other line. <laughs> Jared's lost here because he's never in the Google Doc. Right? <laughs> You're gonna make me open this Google Doc with one screen. I'll ask the no, question. I'll ask. Uh, uh, Martin O'Jewel phoned Mr. Anthony saying that he would call in an hour for an important discussion. When the call came, it was General Vincent Adi on the other line. He explained that the LRA had credible information that Museveni was going to violate peace talks and attack the LRA. He wished for Lawrence to intervene with the South African government and get the venue for peace talks moved from Juba to Kenya or South Africa. After a heartfelt lecture from Francois, Lawrence phones Dr. Ben Nagubane, the South African ambassador to Japan. 
Ben promises to make inquiries about the matter. Then elephants. Don't know what happened. There was just a part about elephants. After elephants, Clarence arrives back at home to find Francois on the phone with Ben. He takes the call, which came with bad news. The LRA proposal for peace talks to be moved was already tabled at Juba and was rejected. Nobody believes that the LRA is going to pull their army and abandon talks. The ball was in Adi's court, and there was nothing Lawrence and Ben could do about it in three days. Uh, the people are asking, does Lawrence touch himself to the elephants? <laughs> I'm actually serious about this. Like, <laughs> I mean, he is fascinated with them. He, he gets a, really spiritual. There's about a deep the spiritual connection with them. No. Whenever he's like stressed, that's what he does. He just goes to the elephants. It's his happy place. It's his drug. Be Gilmore happy place. Go to yeah, your happy like like uh, Deshaun Watson. And I was just about to say that. Massage parlors. Yeah, that, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I was thinking more of Kesha. Your love is my drug, but it's just elephants are my drug. I think it's Rihanna. Sex and chains excite me. So he's he's an he he's an upgraded horse girl. That's what he is. Yeah, so he's just like, a horse girl, just like horse girl elephant man. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, just guy yeah. being dude. It's like it's like it's like like when you get older, you choose between like World War Two, like American history. Because it's all dude. <clears throat> I saw a uh, Shane Gillis uh, bit about that about like history, and he says that being into like world war ii and the revolutionary war in history is early onset republicanism <laughs> okay chapter 23 do we have any thoughts on the actual content of that chapter Not i don't think there was much Fra Fra francois up for wife of the earth i think that's that was only yeah she's definitely a real one i think she kind of clarifies lawrence's thoughts for him and it gives him the support he needs. Okay. Uh, chapter 23. Vincent Adi calls to ask for updates. Lawrence once again claims a credibility issue. Adi informs him that the LRA is pulling out of talks, giving Lawrence the credibility he'd so desperately needed. Lawrence immediately phones Ben and informs him of the situation. After a week of Ben putting in work in the trenches, him and Lawrence get some positive feedback. The venue still could not be changed, but South Africa, Kenya, and Mozambique would appoint monitors to the peace talks as a means of overseeing order and security. Lawrence requests that Martin and Godfrey make a trip to South Africa to discuss. They oblige. He starts with the bad news, explaining that the venue will never be moved, <clears throat> excuse me, then follows up by asking why, why the venue is of such concern to the LRA. Godfrey explains that the betrayal is just one concern. Sorry. Godfrey explains that betrayal is just one concern among a Ugandan attack and the personal safety of the delegation. Lawrence explains that the modified solution of the monitors. My God, sorry. Lawrence explains the modified solution of the monitors. They would not only help supervise the talks, investigate complaints, make input, and see fair play. But this would also plug these three governments into the talks, meaning their interests and involvement would substantially increase. Martin Godfrey mule it over in Nkali, and they leave to make a call to Adi. 
When they come back, they inform Lawrence that the matter requires a meeting of leadership. Oh, and one more thing. Joseph Coney and Vincent Adi want to meet you. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Executed well. Yeah. Good job. Good job on everyone's part. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, th I think having that bombshell drop to you, I think there's a difference between like meeting with representatives in a safe country like South Africa to immediately going to, oh, I'm going to the bush to meet the two guys at the head of the international crime list. I think there's a difference, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite a severe one. Uh, Yeah, I think he just dug himself in. I, I don't think that he really knew what he was getting into. And uh, I think in hindsight, it should be explicitly clear that once you're going to start discussions with the LRA, like they're going to have some sort of agenda. And if you have connections, you have power, they're going to try to use you in some sense. Okay. I think I think it was under wraps after they saw him control the elephant. They were like, this <laughs> yeah. is, and Joseph Coney's vision, it was happening no matter why. I think he was like, this is the chosen one. He was like Anakin. He's Anakin for the yeah. LRA. <laughs> he is. Space Jesus. He is, yes. He is Bush Jesus. <laughs> okay. Chapter 24. Uh, one important stipulation to the LRA continuing peace talks was that they had to have insurances that Monarch, uh, the UN, uh, would stand down and not attack their camps. Lawrence made a call to Mr. Mujuhad, Mujahad Alam, the principal advisor to special representative of the Security General of the United Nations. That is a ridiculous title. Uh, they arranged to meet, and Lawrence made the journey to Kinshasa. Alam informed Lawrence that Monuk fully supported the peace talks and had no plans to engage the LRA, provided that the LRA are in the assembly areas. Lawrence made a call to Godfrey the next day and informed him of the news. A few weeks later, Lawrence received calls from both Martin and Godfrey that the LRA had agreed to accept the monitors and return to talks. Their army would stand down and return to the assembly areas. Uh, there was some bullshit about expanding the reservation and a barbecue. Uh, one day in September, Martin phoned again. <laughs> Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin wished to meet with Lawrence in the jungle. <laughs> that is uh, Adi and uh, Coney. Lawrence accepted the invitation on two conditions, both being on matters of the agenda. First, Lawrence wanted to hear from them on the use of child soldiers. Second, he wanted to discuss the matter of attacks on IDP camps and on the Ecoli in northern Uganda. Uh, Lawrence was informed that Adi was already briefed on his stance on these matters after the diplomatic visit to Thula Thula and that these were points open to discussion. Lawrence would make the journey. Uh, I'm confused about the the camps in the Ecoli in northern Uganda. I was while I was reading as well, because the Ecoli are the LRA. 
like that's the majority tribe in the LRA. Why are they attacking Polak camps in northern Uganda? Or am I getting that mixed up? I would say the Koli are the the LRA is the extremist group of the Koli. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So they're kind of attacking their own people, but no, well, Museveni, from my understanding, doesn't like the Okoli or Okoli people. Yeah. So he's camp where those people are. So okay. their people are okay. being put in these camps by Museveni. So they're not attacking the Okoli. They're attacking the Okoli camps created. By well, Museveni. they're. I wouldn't say they're not. They're also using so as to recruiting grounds, people. basically. Yeah. It's. So they're attacking the camps to try to against Museveni, but also taking children from those camps because they need more soldiers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Their motivations are askewed, but they what they would claim yeah. is that they're trying to protect these camps and Museveni's. They're trying to free their people, basically, yeah. is what they're trying to say. But they're also running their machine through them. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, good. Chapter twenty-five. Yeah. I I I don't. Well, what would you guys do if like you were in Lawrence? Would you go? Uh, to be pretty sure that he was gonna be safe. So, I mean, personally, I don't know. I don't know how you would be assured, but he seemed very assured. It was weird that he was. I mean, he was like comforted by the fact that nobody knew he was going. Like he I said, think that he. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, if you, why would you want no one to know your go? Like, no one to know your whereabouts. Like, they could just easily kill you. He did tell JP. I think that he feels safest with the LRA. I think that there's some weird mutual trust between the two. It's almost like sixth sense mutual trust it goes back to he understands the position he's in and how much he means to the lra and like he's basically their only hope of these peace talks continuing kevin it's kind of like what you you i think it was an excellent point where you're like he knows how to read animals but he also knows how to read people and i think that like you said he kind of had the sixth sense where he was like and Tyler said he's just super important for what they want to get. And I think you kind of see that as he goes into the camp, how much they kind of treat him well for like, well, for a terrorist organization. Like, yeah. And even when they get their like car attacked and the, I always forget that, I always forget people's names. The two guys that he was with, they're like, that was Museveni attacking us, like not the elephant. And they're like, thank you for saving me. I think he realizes then that. They do trust him literally with their lives now. Like, they do think he's like of a higher power almost. Well, and it all goes to their leadership. As long as Joseph Coney believes in him, then they'll all believe in him. Because to them, I mean, it's in a lot of aspects, it's like a cult. And Jason, Joseph Coney's at the top. So, yeah. I think it goes back to. When the reporter first reached out to Lawrence about the northern white rhinos and he was like, sometimes in life, you just have to make a decision to to dive headfirst and go for it. I think that this is just a continuation of that. And he's he's already 
knee deep into this and he wants to see it through and he's kind of just getting uh, pulled in different directions. But I think he knows that uh, it's all part of the journey to save the white rhinos and that there's kind of a, a greater purpose to the whole thing. Almost, do you think it's even worse if he like backs out now, basically after going this deep? Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a more heavily placed burden on you now when you understand that you're maybe the one individual that can really help move things towards peace. Okay. Chapter 25. Uh, Lawrence arrived in Nairobi and traveled with Martin and Godfrey to Juba. Their destination was Rikwangba. They started their drive the next morning at 4 a.m., accompanied by two SPLA soldiers and two soldiers, of which it became apparent later, were LRA. First, they stopped and stayed in Maridi, where there were no police and vigilante justice ruled. Soon, civilization ceased to exist, and thick growth and vegetation took over. They passed broken down truck after broken down truck. Lawrence was worried. The SPLA were armed, albeit seemingly untrained, and his party and the LRA soldiers were unarmed. What happens if we are attacked, he asked. One of the LRA soldiers nonchalantly stated, we will kill the soldiers quickly and take their weapons. Then, nodding at the SPLA soldiers, said these men are useless. Eventually, they stopped to refuel in Nabanga, a military base set up with SPLA soldiers as a bulwark against the LRA if anything went wrong with the talks. The party was insulted, and they had to leave urgently as things grew hostile. Uh, they arrived in Rikwangba, uh, were dropped off by the SPLA soldiers, and Lawrence made the rest of the journey on foot with the LRA way more highly trained and attentive than the SPLA escorts. At one point, Lawrence gave in to his situation. He felt completely relaxed, anxiety no longer a factor. I was where I was, and there was no possible way out. After treading the vegetative path, uh, they arrived in General Vincent Adi's camp. Uh, I found this interesting as a discussion point. Uh, Lawrence just Lawrence subscribing to his situation uh, and kind of just shedding his anxiety. Uh, I don't know any any thoughts on that. There was there was a point where he he was anxious. I think up until the point he actually got to uh, re Kwangba with the LRA, and then at that point he kind of just says, "Whatever, fuck it. I'm here. If things go wrong, they go wrong." There's nothing I can do at this point to remedy the situation that I'm in. I think that's hard to do, but I mean, kudos to him. I think when you're in situations like that, when you're it's a very high stress, high anxiety, you don't know what's going to happen. And especially, I've never been in a situation where my life is possibly on the line, but you would guess that that is, you'd be pretty anxious and stressed out. It is impressive that he's able to just kind of come to peace and find like tranquility and just be like all right well this is it nothing i can do now is going to change the outcome so why why create unneeded stress in a situation where i should probably be at my best yeah 
I would have been freaking out when they went to that uh, like that town and they stopped for like to rest and like all those like SL SPA soldiers I think the SPLA soldiers were like coming around and like asking like who they were and stuff like I would have been like I don't even know what I would do in that situation like everyone there's like forty on four the SPLA mm-hmm. uh um funded by the U.S. government uh, we funded them in the nineties to try to overthrow the government in Sudan. Fun fact. What is what does SPLA stand for? I don't even it's, know. It's the Sudan People's Liberation Army. Also blurs the line between terrorist organization and <laughs> but funded by the US. But I don't think I fully understood the the security concern of the LRA until this chapter when when he pointed out that this camp was kind of a barrier in case peace talks erupted, they they already had uh, Sudanese soldiers in place, supported by Museveni. Um, I I was like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, there's no soldiers in Juba. Like, I would think that you can pull those people out pretty fast. I think this this chapter put it into perspective for me. The fear that the LRA was experiencing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get the feeling, obviously, they disbanded shortly after this, so it's probably true that they were, they were on the brink of, no matter what they were saying, even though they're well-armed and they're willing to fight to the death, their resources were dwindling, and uh, they were on the brink of being eliminated soon here. In chapter 26, this is the last chapter until it goes off the rails, I think. Uh, Lawrence meets General Vincent Adi, uh, snuggled by a baboon to prove he is the king of the animal king, king of the animal kingdom, feeder of elephant meat. <laughs> he is surprised in two ways by the LRA soldiers. First, by the way, these hard bitten killers treat an innocent baboon. Second, the level of discipline they display for a demonized militia group. He is invited to join Adi, who invites him to speak to the entire entire Third Reich that evening. He wishes for Lawrence to explain how peace can be achieved, to address the agreement with Monak, and why the mediators were appointed to peace talks. Uh, they would also discuss his precious rhinos. I guess I got ahead of myself there. This is where it starts to go the rails. <laughs> the quality of summary may have dropped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I, I. He arrives with the baboon. There wasn't actually much in this chapter, so I don't blame you. It just feels like he's getting oriented with what this actual village is that he is now going to be spending the next couple of days in. Yeah, <clears throat> I found it interesting. He looks like saw it was like a civilization to a sense. Like he thinks it's a camp at first, and then he feels like then he shows. Then they find out that there's agriculture, um, that there's like this trade system with nearby villages. They like protect these nearby villages. Um, I thought it was crazy. I don't know if it was in this chapter or the next one, but and that he's talking to the one guy and he's like, "Yeah, there's some kids at the river shot down that helicopter, and it like wasn't even the LRA, which is just like a slap in the face to the UN that these like fishing village fishing villages were the ones that took down like." A plane. Yeah, do you believe that, though? 
I mean, yeah. I, I feel like if it was a, like a, a a younger soldier, I don't think he would lie. But I mean, who am I? I don't know. I do think the what you spoke to Christian the the level of discipline that they displayed for like the militia group that they are or were presented as. Um, I feel like that's the case. You would think going into that that they would all be very like disorganized and kind of all over the place. But then you also have to think about from an outside perspective for all of this chaos to be ensuing the leader has to be and for all these people to believe in like one person like all these horrible leaders from the past they obviously have to be pretty disciplined and respected and like well well-rounded and organized so i guess that kind of makes sense it'd be interesting to see how far down that extends so like obviously in this room there's all like the higher up people but then, like, once you get down lower into the ranks, I wonder where it starts to drop off and just become full, like, chaos and free-for-all. I'm just wondering where Joseph Coney is, because, like, that camp seems like the safest place. Like, I don't, like, I don't want to even want to know what the compound around Coney is like. What if he's there? He's across the river. Yeah, we, he, uh, he's away. They have excuses for Coney. Microsoft Teams location away. Auto auto office. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna be out of the office this Friday, November nineteenth. If you need immediate assistance, please contact my teammates. Adi. <laughs> uh, okay. Chapter twenty seven. Uh, He's like posting on Instagram. <laughs> For all concerns and questions, please contact Adi. For any LRA questions, I'm out of here. Twenty-one counts of war crimes, guys. Let's focus up. <laughs> no, well, you're not about to get. You're not about to get focus oh, in this chapter. Uh, the meeting begins with Adi asking Lawrence whether he brought their five hundred thousand dollars USD. Uh, I would have shat my pants. I think it was the LRA's idea of some kind of joke. Uh, Lawrence declined softly that he did not bring it. The UN forces, uh, the UN forces and peace talk mediators are discussed. The council was satisfied with Lawrence's answers. Then Lawrence proposes that the LRA stop their assaults on the northern Ugandan camps. At first, Adi blames Museveni and Western propaganda for making these attacks seem worse than they are. But then his tone shifts to accountability, and he agrees to cease the attacks. Uh, the rhinos are discussed briefly. Adi claims there have been no sightings, but promises to unleash his shooters on site with their blickies if any poachers choose to hotten the Garamba block, no cap. Nice. <laughs> then an interesting offer is made. Adi asked Lawrence to be the godfather of the LRA. Lawrence rises, unwields a machete from his boot, and cuts his hand down the middle until blood splashes on the jungle floor. Adi rises and mirrors the action. They walk slowly towards each other. Did you stop reading? Or? The suspense builds. You could cut the tension in the canopy with a butter knife. They meet face to face, fall to both knees, and hit the crispiest dap you've ever heard in your life. Then make out passionately among a cheering delegation. 
that was my best that was my best writing of the entire chapter this guy wrote a fan fiction in the middle <laughs> you bone from Lawrence's perspective of the elephant. I thought I was reading Colleen Hoover for a second there. <laughs> uh, psych Lawrence at first requests to consult with Godfrey and Martin on the matter. Godfrey persuades him to accept the offer. Lawrence does not, but on the grounds that he is called Lawrence does, but on the grounds that he is called the Godfather of Peace. Adi asks to send a senior general to South Africa, and Lawrence agrees, first needing to inform the South African government uh, and, and obtain special visas. I think this uh, this this blurs the line of, like, he had to stand up for himself here because this blurs the line. Is he actually their friend, or is he a person here to help mediate talks? And I think that the, yeah. them asking him to be the godfather was a challenge in that he had to and correct them and say, I am not here for you necessarily. I'm here for uh, greater peace in the region. So I'm glad he stood up for himself here. He's got some balls. I'll give him that. Like to be able to stand up and say that. And like, and when they asked him like for the, the money, I don't even know what I would have said. Like, that's like some sick joke. Like, Oh yeah. Did you bring our deposit? I think it, I don't I don't know what that was. I think it was a joke. He he handles every obstacle that they bring up extremely well in this chapter. Amazing emotional intelligence. Yeah, I would. I okay. I was gonna say. Uh, no, I just forgot. <laughs> You're gonna say something though. Yeah, I was. And then the Christian said, okay. And I was like, ah, I'll shut up. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. Go, go oh, ahead. oh I, I remembered it. I remembered it. Uh, I feel like that, that was such a bad lose-lose situation where, like, godfather of the LRA. Like, if you say yes, you're now seen. Like, I don't know if that becomes, like, a public. Like, the LRA, like, releases the info. And it's like, this guy, Lawrence, is now the uh, the godfather of the LRA. Or if that's like just something internal, but then if you say no, it's like they're just like, oh fuck you, you don't accept our like gracious offer. I feel like that's just such a bad situation to be in, and he handled it really yeah. well. I, he asked JP to come with him on this journey, and he was in Europe for something. I I kept thinking back to how good of a consultant JP would be in situations like these, but uh, at the same time, how well. Lawrence handled it himself without JP's help. I don't I don't know how they would deal with JP though. I don't think they would respect him in the same ways that they respect Lawrence. I think I don't even think he would have been allowed. I know he asked him to come, but I don't even know if they would have let him because like imagine all those spying and background checks that they ran on on Lawrence. Like they probably had spies. Yeah, JP was like not that. passing a background check as a European special forces guy, yeah. These South African special forces, huh? I don't remember. Oh, I like to start to this chapter 28 summary. <laughs> Just go. I think you did an extra, I think you did an extra summary. I don't think we, we only read up to 29. No, we read 29. Yeah, yeah. Through, through 29. It's all right. There's not much, there's not much to the chapter 29 summary, so you, you're not missing much. You can read it. Quick. Got it. Uh, chapter 28. Lawrence rizzed up Adi's wives. ICC bad, <laughs> but 
but Musa, <laughs> but Museveni in bed with ICC because he no like LRA leaders, LRA leaders, and want them to go far, far away. But LRA was motto oput, traditional punishment. My brain is exploding right now. <laughs> this is insane. You just stop speaking English. Here. Oh, okay. So, uh, Museveni is in bed with the ICC. He's in their ear uh, because he doesn't like the LRA leaders and he wants them to be punished. Uh, but the LRA, they use this term motto oput. Uh, for traditional punishment, uh, they want a home-based TRC, uh, but Museveni might say no, then war continue. LRA leaders rather die than be tried by ICC. Lawrence promises to speak to his contacts. They discuss child soldiers. No, Adi says, youth soldiers. Obama falls to his knees. Youth? <laughs> He exclaims, arms outstretched to the Almighty. No problemo, then. If they are youth, keep doing you. 13 equals man in LRA. Uh, fellows, you feel like you were a man at 13 years old. I would say no. <laughs> Lawrence, asked, <laughs> Lawrence asked for 10 youth or women to take home to South Africa with him. Oz. Um, I feel <laughs> nice. Good job. A nice chapter summary, man. Uh, I feel like that was an impactful uh chapter. I don't know if the summaries match, but um, I think I summed it up well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, there's it, a there's a summed it up r ridiculously because it's kind of ridiculous. Well, like okay, the that's not why you did it. I, <laughs> that's not I, why. No, I'm trying to rationalize right now. The ICC and the TRE, the TRC stuff. Like okay, whatever. The the youth soldier stuff, saying that they're they're not children, they're youth, and that they're men at thirteen is ridiculous. The argument they were making is basically that Europeans at one point used child soldiers, and so did America, but the life expectancy. The examples they were giving were like the 1600s and the 1700s where life expectancy was half what it is now. So it's like, it's a lot different. <laughs> I mean, we, we there there were technically child soldiers during World War One and World War Two, but they willingly signed up. Yeah, and it was more, fight it's, for the it's like supporting roles more than active fighting too. But also, I think the, the more, the TRC is interesting to me because I think uh, honestly, I think they know if they go to the ICC, ICC, they're basically going to Guantanamo Bay. I mean, they don't stand a chance in Western court, not because it's not fair. It's because they're actual terrorists. And criminals. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to hide behind this fact that it's not fair or it's not the African way, um, which it, I guess it's not. But I don't know if that's necessarily true either. I think they're just looking for a way out that doesn't result them ending up in Guantanamo Bay. So, yeah, I also thought this this chapter was interesting because you get the perspective of that child soldier and there's that conversation in the beginning. I'm not laughing at that. Sorry, go ahead. No, go if ahead. that makes sense, that that last uh, that front part. 
of the chapter where he's like talking. I think that gives good insight into kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of enjoyed hearing like that perspective away from the generals. Didn't have much other thought behind that, but I don't have any other thoughts on that one. Go ahead, Christian. Rip us with the last chapter here. Let's <laughs> power through. Chapter. Please do not read chapter what you have done. That's all I'm going to ask. You don't think so? No, please don't. Okay. Uh, chapter 29. It's giving. I'm tired of this shit, Tyler. Please, baby, come back. Uh, Lawrence is battling with the fact that these men might not be so bad after all. This part omitted. Adi offers up his help on the matter of gorillas in Virunga National Park using his connections with the underground. Lawrence battles with the fact uh, that this is what conservation in Africa has come to. The governments and park authorities are inconsequential. Uh, <clears throat> Lawrence prepares to leave. Coney arrives. Lawrence prepares to stay. Godfrey says no. The baboon owner comes back and Lawrence tells him to throw an egg in the milk every two days. Soldiers cry. The godfather of peace leaves. Wow. Nice. Nice. So Jared, did you get to read that or no? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, no, I think... uh, the the part the part about the soldiers was actually pretty good, I think. Yeah, I was, I'm also curious. I mean, it was a tougher decision for him at the end there if he wanted to stay for Joseph Coney but risk the transportation risk or go home and not have the opportunity to speak with him. And then he also mentions at the end that he never gets to speak to Adi again, which I sort of know why, but we'll get... I also I sort of know why, and I'm interested to see how this plays into the rest of the book. So I'm excited for that. Jared, I threw it in the chat what Christian omitted, if you want to see that. Um, no, I saw it. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, any other thoughts from you guys or uh, opinions? On- I guess, do, we have, do we have any overall thoughts on the book thus far? Mm-hmm. I guess I'm more in- interested to see how Christian and, and Christian and Kevin think about it thus far, because I know they had maybe some thoughts on the book beforehand, and then they kind of changed as they were in last meeting. I'm interested to see how they're they kind of think of the book thus far i i enjoy it for the geopolitical consequences and intricacies that have been discussed thus far i could do like i could do without like the misguidance that this is a book about conservation i think that lawrence anthony kind of goes in a million different directions sometimes and it's kind of unclear what the direction of the book is. I think maybe I'm getting more clarity on that with this whole LRA deal. Uh, and maybe that's that's the part that is most intriguing to me. So I think I'm I'm starting to like it a little bit more. But I think he could have maybe trimmed the fat on this book a little bit and just focused on that piece. Maybe, maybe his goal was some misconception. Uh, and I think we've discussed this. It's more of a memoir, and maybe that's just how the events unfolded. Still, as a reader, uh, it's maybe a little bit hard to 
to follow sometimes and really like put my attention into it when uh there's just a lot going on do you think do you think the rhinos are going to come back up i i have a feeling that we're just not going there he's just never going to get the mission approved and it's i i i spoiled this for myself so okay. i won't won't say i'm in the camp that i don't know if the rhinos were ever in the garamba park if that makes sense like i i i almost wonder if he got there too late and because he always talks about that lra is like doing their searches and they haven't seen any i'm almost wondering if there's just none left as to the point now like he's brought up the issues of conservation but his specific mission never gets never gets put into place but it's more so like a now and like a things that are happening now because yeah. of what his actions were and and whatever this year was 27 20, 2007 i think it was yeah my thing is this book is marketed very weirdly for what the content of the book is i mean that i mean if you're looking at your book it's called the last rhinos and then the tagline is my battle to save one of the world's greatest creatures i mean that that is what the book's about yeah. but that's not the imp what we're reading currently is not the impression that i would get from looking at this he's talking about yeah. the humans bro not the rhinos. My bad. That'd be actually. I've been actually be. reading between the lines here. I'm not even joking. That yeah. might be the, yeah. the that might be the right intended meaning. I mean, to be fair, when you look up this book on Goodreads, the first tagline is politics and memoir. Yeah. And that's and that's one reason why I picked it because it was interesting with like I thought it was interesting at least with the taglines and like the the title. Obviously, we kind of come to realize it's what started as a simple conservation like plan turned into something that probably Lawrence never would have imagined. I mean, it's so I just think that we're we're experiencing it from his point of view and just kind of like him just telling what has happened and under this wild ride. And I think that's where kind of Christian mentioned like that just goes into so many different places. I'm just wondering if this is truly just how it happened in real life. I mean, it obviously is because it's his memoir, but of just how crazy the story really is essentially a conservationist is just they want to stop war on animals essentially and they want to create that peace so basically he's just so far what we're getting at is him doing that at a bigger level with like human on human violence essentially so yeah i think it's just conservation in the modern world almost like it's more of a discussion on that rather than just the white rhinos i think that lawrence is just sharing what he has learned about conservation uh as he learns it rather than this being a book about actually saving the northern white white rhinos i mean we have we have a third of the book left and we we haven't found a single northern white rhino yet so i think jared you're on right path with that one get back to my overall thoughts of the book it's been a linear linear progression and the upward trend since last meeting i started out at the beginning of last meeting like yeah i don't know about this and then as you guys talked about it more helped me better understand what was going on i've liked it a lot more since then and then after this reading i'm kind of i'm pretty vested in it now i actually am enjoying it a lot i was going to bring up the fact that it does seem odd like this whole storyline which kind of keeps us on our toes as the reader because you just in my brain i was like this is going to be about saving rhinos like 
something about wildlife and going through like the adventures of fighting off like the poachers and all this stuff. And then we just haven't gotten any of that since like the first few chapters. So now, now it's kind of like, what is this really about? Which is kind of keeping me as the reader pretty engaged. Yeah. It's one of the- still even, even right. after these first chapters, it's like, it still seems like the LRA want, there's more to what they're trying to get out of this. And it's still like, cause we see Lawrence is kind of trusting them, but it's like, he doesn't completely and then as the reader it's like can he really trust them and it seems like there's maybe an alternate motive behind this and i don't know it's been more interesting than i thought it was going to be after reading the first few chapters so i'm the only thing i'm concerned about i get lost city of the monkey vibes a little bit that we may have some loose ends that are never tied up by the end of this book um but we'll see i mean obviously i can't say that now but it just feels like we're gonna end up in that place but well, I mean, you know, we'll see where it ends up. I'm interested to see how this ends for this whole reason. I don't know if anyone knows, but Lawrence Anthony actually passed away in 2012. And that's why it says Graham Spence at the, at the bottom. So I'm not sure how far the story is actually told. Uh, and so I'm, I'm interested to see like the, the detail end and kind of what happens. So, yeah. R.I.P. Lawrence Anthony. Yeah, a man back to his work. This was his last book, so, so I think it was finished with by Graham Spence at the end. But I'm not sure about that. But I think he just wrote the epilogue, like in memoriam. You can say what you want about Lawrence Anthony. You can't say that he wasn't a man that was not passionate. I thought you were just gonna leave. He wasn't a man. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, yeah, man. All right. Any other thoughts before we uh, dive into uh, some Rhino videos? <laughs> Tough transition. There. Yeah. But just a reminder: next meeting, we'll be finishing this book and obviously scoring it. So read, read to the end. Lawrence Kevin's writing the Kevin's writing the summaries. Oh, let's go, Kev. <laughs> he left. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very early this week. I'm excited for that. Maybe we'll split them. Maybe split a half half. Every other. Do every other. If, if you if you want that, it'll be more of my. Uh, who did I even talk about last week? The Eagles linebacker. It's gonna be stuff. Do you like want this. to? Do you want to do every other? Uh, no, but. <laughs> I would split it even anyway, like half if I'm being honest. I've got eleven chapters. It's it. I'll take three. Ten chapters in an app, an epilogue. That's a lot for starting. Stuff I, we know Christian falls off at the end. Maybe, maybe Kevin, you can do the last four. Or I, I said three. Okay, three in the yes, epilogue. A lot. That's a good deal. Three in the epilogue, a deal. All right, handshake. Nice job, guy. I can't wait to hear this. This it adapt like Lawrence and Audi. This sucks though because I'm gonna be in Madison all next weekend too. So I'm probably gonna have to do this early. And you know fine, that's I... no, no, I wanna do it. Okay. I don't I can't promise there'll be anything with like any knowledge or information in them, but uh, okay. Uh with that, uh we'll move to our next section. We can we can hop in almost immediately here. I don't need a break. So um well, what if others do? <laughs> I gotta pee. Okay, God forbid. Okay, we'll see you guys on the other side. 
Welcome back to a new segment that we're going to try here on the 20 Pages Podcast. We're going to be giving you guys some live reactions to some Rhino videos, although this book is clearly not, not really about Rhinos in the grand scheme of things, but this should be pretty interesting. This is our first time doing this, so fingers crossed this actually like works somewhat well and the viewer can actually see the videos, but Tyler is going to... Tyler's going to be the moderator. He's going to play through these videos one by one, and we're we're just going to give some live reactions and talk through some of the battles. So. I think this is just a prime example of just guys being dudes. Guys being uh, dudes. Let's watch some rhino videos, huh? We just wanted to watch some rhino videos. Um, yeah, let's do this. Uh, We've, none of us have seen these videos, so it'll all be... Blind react. All right, we're going to start up. We got the 12 brutal rhino attacks you wouldn't believe happened. If you, uh, if you haven't hit your pen at home, you probably hit that down. <laughs> Have you seen a rhino scaring off a frightening crocodile? Oh, it's not running from a rhino to save its life. Rhinos are aggressive and immensely strong, so it's not a good idea to mess with these juggernauts. If you want to see badass rhinos in action, this is like juggernaut in COD. 12 incredible <laughs> rhino attacks caught on. Walker is about to start playing. Faded. No. Oh, it's literally pooping. An elephant. Number 12, Rhino Attacks Giraffe. I'm not Giraffe kidding. Is that, one of the that, most recognizable that, and fascinating rhino animals in the world. While it was the tallest mammal on Earth, with males reaching heights of up to 18 feet and females reaching up to 14 feet. Their long legs enable them to run at speeds of up to yeah, 35 miles yeah. per hour while providing them... Oh, I was just thinking about Giraffe. You guys want to watch it? No context. Oh, well, yeah. no, I already know what kind of videos... I already know what kind of video this is. Are we actually going to see any attacks, or what is this? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we are. It's just going to be this guy t fucking... Well, it's attacking I... it. It's just getting kicked in the face. <laughs> and that's a left jab from <laughs> Jeffrey the Giraffe. I'm going 10-9, Jeffrey. Ricky, Ricky the Rhino. Why, we... Why are they in the same enclosure, is my question. Oh, wait, wait, here we go. This is what you need to see. Square it up with a yeah. crocodile. Oh, jeez. Ooh. <laughs> what are we talking about there? No context. No context. <laughs> average. Uh, yeah, it's pretty average. It's pretty big, actually. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Rhinos are basically blind. <laughs> Who do you think is gonna get the best of it here, dude? Look at the look at the cut on that rhino's back. Frankenstein. Oh, I just ran away. Oh, oh my god, this sucks. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> Skip ahead. I don't want to. Hey, yeah, get us to like top five. Get us <laughs> top. To like number five. <laughs> we don't need all this intro stuff. Get us to the action. Baby rhino. Okay. <laughs> it seems like they're jogging. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's give a breakdown here. So my theory is these are actually triceratops. Really? Yeah, but they Darwin's evolution, they just got one horn in the middle and only one on the top instead of the two on the top. 
I want to see a rhino like, inhale something. <laughs> oh, it's just it's just lying about to find out. You guys are awfully close to this. Jesus. That's what Lawrence Anthony sees on an everyday basis in Thula Thula. Who's mom? Oh, did you see how small that one? Oh, no, that's a zebra. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not Simba. Oh, dogs got to eat. Simba. Dude, hyenas are... Hyenas will literally try anything. <laughs> As Lion King taught us when we were children. What? <laughs> this guy's eating butt. Right in the... Right in the butthole. Oh, 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 oh. oh. <laughs> that is, that is raunchy. What is wrong with these guys? Impale them. They, they know where the weak point is. Poor baby. These little ones are so cute. Oh. Just look at it. It's just like, it's such a bot. <laughs> it's like watching a Fortnite, a guy that just downloaded Fortnite. <laughs> Bro, these hey, mom's, about, mom's, about, mom's about to put up some. I put up a double double right here. They have no agility whatsoever. <laughs> dude, why does it just kick? Like, I feel like. Oh, dude, warhogs are. Okay. It's crazy. You can just picture our narrator just introducing the the warthog like we don't already know what it is. These baby rhinos are electric, dude. <laughs> Look at him. He wants okay. to eat. Oh, <laughs> he wants all the smoke. <laughs> Once again, for the podcast listeners at home, please go over to the YouTubers. <laughs> you're so, if you're still listening to this the podcast, <laughs> you see the horn on that last one. Bro, this is a heavyweight battle. This is a tough decision for Lawrence here. Six foot versus five foot eleven. <laughs> you do not want to smoke with elephants, dude. And there's gonna be a rhino versus hippo. There's gotta be. Hippos are hippos are dangerous. Most dangerous oh. animal in the bush. Bro's throwing dirt at him. Oh my god, he's tossing sticks. It's literally Fortnite. And Bro, he's using Sandstorm from Pokemon. <laughs> oh, he's marking he's his territory. He's pooping again. <laughs> now he's still saying. He might be scared. Rhinos aren't as cool as we thought we were. He's literally unloading. Oh, shit. Oh, he got him in the throat. His horn. Low mid leverage. Other. Rhino reminds me of like a fullback. <laughs> Dude, elephants just toss shit. <laughs> they just pick things up and toss it. This is like GTA is it, 5 standoff. Look, he's throwing rocks. Is it, un is it unrealistic to say I think I could take either one of these animals down? Yeah, I'm Christian. I mean, that's. Are you just saying that for the that camera? Or... That horn is massive. Holy shit. Do you not remember my story about the size of the baby, the baby elephant in the last chapter summary? Oh yeah, Hassan Reddick. 
Yeah. Here we go. Some car attack. Oh, dang. what is that Toyota doing? <laughs> you gotta be an idiot to drive up to these things, man. Oh my god. Oh shit. Oh, that's right in the tire too. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude. That was a light work. You guys got the fucking top down. Oh, this this guy's this guy's mad. <laughs> He's got the arm out the window. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, oh he got away though. He got away. <laughs> they hit the popper or whatever. Bro, that's terrifying. If you see that thing, she's after you. I think it's just oh. jogging too. Oh my god! <laughs> that's got to be. It's kind of rapid. It's sped up. It's sped up. Yeah. <laughs> Why's he got wheels? Oh no, this car is getting destroyed. What? I don't even know what that is. I don't either. Looks like a descendant of an ox. Indian bison, I guess. I was gonna guess a water buffalo. <laughs> They're both grazing animals. I wonder why they're beefing. Oh, this fucker's got no horn. Uh, no horn. Damn. The poachers, poachers got them. That guy's got two. I know. I what they cut off elephant tusks to stop poachers because, like in reservations, they've done that. I wonder if they do that with rhinos too. They cut off their horns so there's no incentive to, uh, poach them. Look at the it's armor, dude. Tigers are so cool. We have to read a book about tigers just so we can watch videos of them. Yeah, we'll do that after we read about the Hungarian Revolution. <laughs> it's the next two books I quit. <laughs> it's a book about freedom. Yeah, dude, their armor is insane. Yeah, look at that. Armored Karumas from GTA 5. Literally. Bro, who's recording this? I don't want to be that guy, but I don't know if a rhino's actually attacked anything. But <laughs> he attacked the car. That was about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yikes. You think you could domesticate a wild dog? Probably. I mean, Lawrence could domesticate anything, so. <laughs> yeah. If you're an elephant, or if you're like a big animal, these things gotta be so annoying. Like these tiny ass animals that try to like keep bothering you. Holy shit, how fast that thing was running? Oh, here we go. Oh, oh Jesus. This is a heavy heavyweight battle. Uh. Dude, give me some gore. I, I want to see it spear something. This thing's just got its mouth gaping. Oh, yeah, it's going to get stabbed in there for sure. Oh. Oh, no. Oh. Come on, Rhino. Why stand you up here. Your back? Why, yeah, why would you turn your back? You didn't want to change. Oh, Rhino oh. versus Rhino? Some cannibalism. <laughs> Male dominance here. Oh, he's going to stab. 
Oh, he's getting stabbed in the butt. Ooh. I think they keep showing us the same clips over and over. <laughs> in the last one against the hippo, they just kept showing the same clip, but they'd flip it to like horizontally. I think we're looking at something that's not a carnivore, so we're looking for deadly attacks of something that. Here we go. This is this is some oh, this is a... fighting over turf. Fighting over turf. That's just not a rhino. Let's <laughs> uh, see. It. We got to drive a comment. Uh, the rhino. This video was disappointing. Uh, well. Fuck that channel. All right, run it, run it. I know funny videos. Since when do trees grow out of pumpkins? It's news to me. Dude, this thing has some good questions. Oh my god. Imagine that's your skull. Oh my god. They're not. (laughs) And it does that to you? Oh. Dude, why it's. It's Dude, these little ones are so. <laughs> these little ones are legit bots. Why is this top? The top lip scares me. Uh, Suck it, mommy. That's just not right, actually. I don't like these noises. <laughs> it's just sucking. What, what did you look up? <laughs> what was Johnny watching? <laughs> All these videos were sent by Johnny. You should clarify. I thought we were just watching a lactation uh, video for, for a second. That is not a rhino. Wait, these things up close are ugly. <laughs> Yeah, which I'm not sure what's funny about this. <laughs> just, just an eating compilation. Not a chance I would feed on my defense. Johnny's defense, I would totally watch this shit. I'd toast it out of my mind. This girl's brave. That looks like my friend's girlfriend. Imagine that thing tries to sit in your lap. <laughs> Currently, what it's doing, it's being gentle, though. What do you? This girl, this girl might be yeah, the, the the protege of Lawrence Anthony, the, the whisperer. This is friend. This is Francois. <laughs> it's kind of cute. Oh my god! Yo, do a flip. The horns on it. Oh my god, that's big. Wow! All right. Oh, that's your. All right, Rhino destroys a car completely. This is our last help. I think we already saw this one. No, we didn't. Yeah. Already... <laughs> oh, we can watch the full one. Is this seven minutes long? No, it's a minute. Oh, a minute two. This guy's an idiot, first of all. <laughs> Bro. Look how easy it's going bowling. <laughs> I was going to say with ease. Bro. How strong are they? Like, bro, send him on a roller coaster ride. Look at the ostriches in the background. This car is still drivable. (laughs) This thing is not letting it go. 
This guy is a motor moron. Someone drove by and didn't even stop. They're like, oh, fuck that. Another one. one. Oh, there we go. How are you doing? Why do they got the cars dressed up as zebras? If he flips the cycle, he gets it. Nice camera work there. This guy should record school fights. All right. One of the most extraordinary characters I've ever met. <laughs> the Shriver. We're just going out of into the forest. We're going down a rabbit hole here. You've yeah. seen this video before. Again. I think, and I'm sure, if I would have even flinched once and would have dropped the camera, would have run or turned around, Adrian would have said, well, this is obviously not the right that thing. That guy's got balls. Point. Dude. Bro, imagine uh, a full-on gorilla charging you stand straight up. Baby gorilla. And one day he decided to introduce it into the forest to let it know the sights and the sounds. And suddenly we sensed the gorillas were right close. And Adrian stood there with the baby gorilla on his arm. And suddenly the gorilla called in a way it had never called before. It was really, it was a strange feeling. It was all quiet. And suddenly we saw the leaves move. There was Hannibal first who looked at us. And I sensed there was something going to happen, which, which really we shall never forget. Hannibal suddenly called, and Casimir answered from the background, and Adrian was very, very nervous, and we all realized this is a situation which really can end up in something terrible. Oh, my God. Casimir screamed and, and just charged Adrian, and Adrian literally had no other chance than to drop the baby gorilla, because if he would have kept it, we all convinced that Casimir would have killed him, although he knew him very well for many years. Bro. That was intense. That was, uh... All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Thanks for all of our viewers at home. Uh, for... If you're still watching this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that might have been a brutal segment. I don't know about that one. We got let on by that 12-minute video. That should not have been 12 minutes. Well, in the end, it's all Johnny's fault. Thank you, Johnny. I, I really should have thought about. Uh, should have thought about that they were not predators, and realized that we were not probably going to get anything vicious and gory. Yeah, it wasn't going to be a tiger leaping on an alligator or something, you know. But it's all right. Yeah. Well, with that, that was uh, episode twenty-one. Again, for next episode. We will be finishing the last round of and scoring it. So and selecting a new book. Yeah, we're, we're and selecting a new book. We will be wheeling for the next book, I believe, between uh, Kevin, Christian, and Tyler. Yeah. So looking forward to next episode. We'll catch you guys there. Bye. Peace.